Welcome to the On Parliament podcast, where we help spread the word on Parliament. Today, we have a very special guest joining us on the podcast, the Speaker of the Legislative Assembly of Ontario. As presiding officer of the House, the Speaker's role is at the heart of Ontario's parliamentary system. The Speaker serves the legislature by overseeing its meetings, enforcing its rules, and maintaining order and decorum. The role requires the speaker to be fair and impartial and to make sure that debates are conducted respectfully. In addition to their role in the chamber, the speaker is the head of the office of the Legislative Assembly, a nonpartisan office that supports the works of all MPPs. The speaker also has a ceremonial and diplomatic role, welcoming visiting dignitaries to the legislative building and representing the legislature across Canada and abroad. The speaker also remains an MPP for the duration of their term and represents their constituents. We are very happy to be joined today by the Honourable Ted Arnott, this current Speaker of the Legislative Assembly of Ontario. Ted Arnott has been an MPP since 1990. Once the youngest MPP in his caucus, he is now one of the legislature's longest serving members, his career having spanned eight parliaments. In that time, he's held parliamentary roles in government and opposition, including as parliamentary assistant and critic. Born in Fergus, Ontario and raised in nearby Arthur, he attended Wilfrid Laurier University before beginning his parliamentary career and now lives in Fergus with his wife. On July 11, 2018, he became the 42nd Speaker of the Legislative Assembly of Ontario. Thank you for taking the time to speak to us today, sir. It's great to have you here. So uh, you were first elected as an MPP in 1990. Do you remember your first day coming to Queen's Park and what that was like? Oh, yes, I do. Quite vividly. Um, after I was elected, I had to come to Queen's Park, um, I think a few days later. And just driving up University Avenue, of course, you can see the building getting bigger and bigger. And <laughs> felt my responsibilities getting larger and larger <laughs> as I did. And, uh, and then walking into the building for the first time, you feel a, a great sense of awe. Um, about being here as a, as a member of the provincial parliament and, and again, a sense of the, the duty and responsibility that goes with it. Um, but it, it, 31 years ago now, it's hard to believe. Do you remember where your first office was in the building? Oh, yes, I do. Yes. <laughs> um, and I was, I was sharing an office initially with David Turnbull, who was the MPP for York Mills. And we we really hadn't been allocated offices. We just had, we were both in there somehow. And uh, <laughs> neither of us had staff. So we were kind of tripping over each other. And, and we, but we each had a desk, we each had a phone. Of course, there's no email. There are no computers in Queens Park in those days. Um, very, very different than today. But eventually we were allocated individual offices and I was able to uh, get more settled. And, uh, but I, when I walk by the offices that I used to work in, it's a, it brings back a, a lot of memories. You were an MPP for a long time, but um, when did you first become interested in running for the role of speaker? Well, that goes back a long way. I, I was first um, interested in becoming a presiding officer in 2003 after the Conservative Party was defeated. We were in opposition and, and I, I wanted to um, have another role over and above being an MPP. And I actually approached Ernie Eves, who was at that time leader of the opposition, had been premier and asked him if, if uh, he would be in agreement with me becoming one of the presiding officers. And um, I don't know if he had a lot of confidence in me in that role at that point, <laughs> I, but I do know that I was the only one in the caucus that asked for it. So it was very easy, <laughs> there was no choice. So they gave me that, that chance. And then I, I served as one of the assistant speakers, presiding officers for, for the next 13 years actually. Um, and it was, it was a good apprenticeship really. And it got to know the 
the clerks and the, uh, the table staff and many of the senior administration in those years too. When Alvin Curling, who was the Speaker of the Legislature, was appointed um, Canada's ambassador to the Dominican Republic, you may recall, he, he resigned as Speaker and resigned his seat in the Legislature, which necessitated um, an election of the next Speaker. And I was, again, one of the presiding officers at the time, and um, I thought that there should be a vote and a race, and that that would compel uh, whoever was going to be elected Speaker, I didn't believe it would be me, um, that there should at least be a discussion and the eventual winner should come into each caucus and look us in the eye and promise to be fair. As it turned out, Mike Brown, who was the MPP for Algoma, Manitoulin, I think at the time, he was, he was the deputy speaker at the time, I think, and we were, so we were colleagues, we were, we were friends. Both of us allowed our names to stand. Um, it, it was interesting, there were only two of us that, that uh, allowed our names to stand. Um, interesting in the sense that uh, I never said a harsh word about him, and he never said a harsh word about me in the, in the course of the campaign, which is somewhat unusual for uh, any kind of a political race, as you, <laughs> as you may know. Um, it was very collegial. I was pleased to see him elected. I didn't expect to be elected. I was pleased to see him get it. And then he, uh, he served as Speaker for the duration of that Parliament. Um, but I, then I allowed my name to stand a second time in 2007 when Steve Peters was running. And that was a larger race. There were quite a number of candidates. I, I don't, don't remember how many. Um, but, um, and again, not expecting to win, but as a presiding officer, thinking there needed to be a race so as to ensure there was a discussion of the issues and commitments on the part of the successful candidate, to, to be fair. And uh, so Steve was elected. And I, again, I continued to, to serve as a presiding officer for several years after that. Um, in 2018, I was encouraged by a lot of people on all sides of the House to allow my name to stand as, as a candidate for Speaker. And uh, there were three other candidates that ran. Um, I was, I was uh, not certain of what the outcome would be, but I was certainly prepared, once I was into it, to put my best foot forward. Um, but to say that I actively campaigned for it would be a bit of a stretch. My wife and I went away for a planned holiday before, for a week beforehand, just before. Um, <laughs> Lisa said, should we cancel the holiday? And you might have to campaign. I said, we're not canceling the holiday. <laughs> either, either people want me to serve in that chair or they don't. And I'm not going to campaign for it the way I would campaign for a general election. And um, as, again, as it turned out, I was, I was elected. On July the 11th, I'd forgotten the day. <laughs> Thanks so you for reminding me. Forget your first day in yeah. a role like that. I don't think. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Question we often get from visitors: um, a lot of people are very curious is about the speaker election process. Um, we know that there are some very fun parliamentary traditions involved. Could you give us a quick summary? <laughs> Well, it's a secret ballot vote of all MPPs. Every MPP has the right to vote. Um, there are multiple ballots sometimes to ensure that the, uh, the eventual uh, speaker who is elected has um, the, the majority of the House uh, has, has expressed their vote support for that person. Um, it's, it's always the first day that the Parliament sits. So it's the very first item of business requiring the, the attention of the House. Um, there are... I, I would say there there is a, a bit of a campaign that goes on, notwithstanding what I said previously. Um, some, in fact, some members will organize get-togethers, receptions, and so on. One did, um, wasn't me. <laughs> <laughs> Others will be more low-key about their approach to it. 
Um, but it's it it it's the first item of business in provincial parliaments in the standing orders. It's the very first thing that's done. Some of the fun traditions. I don't know. Uh, after you mean after you're elected speaker? I guess or, once or you yeah, once you win. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the the speaker is um, expected to immediately take the chair once once the announcement has been made. Um, the person who moved and seconded the nomination of the speaker uh, come down to where the the speaker elect, I guess you'd say, is sitting, um, and then physically drag the person out of their chair, <laughs> into the chair, <laughs> at, the, at the front of the room. Uh, and it's, again, based on the belief that uh, no one in their right mind would want to be speaker. <laughs> you have to <laughs> twist their arm, literally, figuratively, and uh, that can be true too. Um, and then, of course, I had a chance to give a, a brief speech. Um, I was pleased that my wife was there and, and some, some close friends, uh, including my friend uh, Elizabeth Whitmer, who was a colleague of mine for many years who had come down too. And, um, and then they whisk you out of the building, all, well, out of the chamber, down to the speaker's office, the clerk's office, where um, a lot of activity takes place, including uh, there's a tailor there waiting for you to measure you for your, your speaker's gear and garb including the cape, the robe, whatever you call it. Um, there was a hat maker there who measured my head, <laughs> the dimensions of my head, <laughs> to then make a hat, which, uh, which I have. Um, there was an sort of an introductory meeting with the clerk to talk about uh, the, the things that I needed to know immediately. Um, and uh, it, was, it was very interesting. And then I, I received a call from the, the premier's office asking that I come up to the premier's office because the premier wanted to congratulate me. And uh, I said to the clerk, how much time is this meeting going to take? And he said, it's going to take another half hour. And I said, okay, tell the premier that we'll be up there in about a half an hour. And we all had a bit of a joke about that because that was my first sort of symbolic demonstration <laughs> that we, the speaker is independent of the government. And uh, so we made the premier wait a half an hour. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, then I went up, and I was glad. To, I, mean, I was glad to talk to him, and he I very much appreciated his good wishes. <laughs> well, that's fun. <laughs> um, as the speaker, you're still the MPP for your riding. Uh, how do you balance your role as an active MPP and as the speaker? As the MPP for Wellington Halton Hills, I am kept very busy by 120,000 constituents who I am proud and pleased to represent. Um, I want to do a good job for my riding and that's always been my focus as an, as an MPP and that continues even though I'm speaker. On Fridays, I, I'm in my riding office um, as I always have been and I deal with constituency matters and I also am in touch with my constituency office frequently through the week when the House is in session, Monday to Thursday. Um, I read the emails that come in to my constituency office. I'm involved in the responses, um, trying to keep you know, a, a good sense of what people are thinking. Um, before the pandemic, I continued to attend community events on the weekends in my riding. Um, and then I spend a lot of time uh, trying to advance the issues that are important to my riding, in particular, the infrastructure needs by working with with members on both sides of the house, actually, um, so as to ensure that our, our interests and our uh, needs are understood and hopefully addressed by the government. Um, if, if I need to speak to a minister, for example, um, when the house is in session, I will often send the minister a note in the house 
and asked that the minister speak with me for a few minutes in the side office or the speaker's office just off the chamber. Never had a minister say no to the request for an immediate meeting right after question period. Never, not once. Uh, so I appreciate that. And the, and the Premier the same when we've, we've had to reach out to them for their assistance or their involvement in an issue involving my riding. So that's, that's good. And I think um, to some degree advantageous to my constituency. What I can't do as speaker is vote in the legislature unless I'm in the chair and there's a tie vote. And of course there's tradition and convention surrounding that, which you could talk about for, for hours <laughs> or days. Um, so I don't vote um, and I can't speak out on a public issue in a public way that is likely to be debated before the house or is being debated before the house. And I, I but I tell my constituents, um, I've, I've been here for a long time. I'm privileged to be here. Um, I've worked hard for my constituency over the years, I'm still doing it behind the scenes. Don't worry about that. And most most accept and, and agree and understand. It makes it makes sense. It does. I can't imagine <laughs> a minister refusing to meet the speaker after question period. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I well, feel like that's a request I would definitely listen the, to. The, spe <laughs> the speaker has some authority, yeah. um, but, I, but I think you have more authority if you exercise that authority responsibly and consistently so and fairly and impartially um, so I you know we're consciously trying to do that and the the advice I receive from um, from the staff in the speaker's office as well as the clerks um, is indispensable to ensure that I you know stay on that track that's where I want to be and I don't want to, the perception that I'm that I'm being unfair or impartial um, and I certainly don't want it to be true so we we consciously deliberately every day talk about this and try to make sure that um, I am in fact being impartial in, in the things that I do in the house. And what was that transition like from, from just being an MPP to then being the speaker and having to think about all of these things a little bit more? Well, the day I was elected speaker was quite overwhelming. The next day the house was sitting. I had the robe, I had the hat, it was all there. Uh, I didn't have the hat, I guess it took a week to come. But, I, but I, I had the full authority of the speaker. And it was right after the election, as you'll recall, that the House was was called back into session. Um, the election had taken place in June, the House was sitting literally a month later. Dozens of new members who hadn't, in many cases, even you know been elected to any public office. Uh, the Premier, new, new to the role of Premier, new to the legislature as an MPP as well. Um, right after the election, some of the, some of the emotions of the election still pretty raw in the minds of some. And it was, it was loud in there. It was, at times it was bedlam and I didn't know what, I didn't know what to do. I, and as much as I tried, it wasn't nothing, nothing I was doing was working to try and calm it down. And, um, so that, that was my, my first recollection that comes to mind that it was bedlam is the word that I would use. Um, and then. It got a little better, um, and I think I, I became a little more accustomed to what I needed to do. Again, good coaching from from the speaker's office staff as well as the, um, the clerks, which helped me to develop the skills that I skill set that I needed that I didn't have in order to um, bring some more civility to the house. And then we, we've tried a number of different things over the years, and occasionally reminding them in a public way. Um, how important it is that we that we behave in a professional manner to so as to um, ensure that the people of Ontario are proud of their their MPPs and proud of their legislature. So the transition was was very difficult, but it's it, it did get better and it has it, 
mean, uh, now I feel quite comfortable in the role in most respects. And uh, the best part of being speaker is the, the wonderful people that I work with, the staff of the legislature. Um, and I, you know, I work with the clerks very closely on a daily basis. It's just a real pleasure to see everyone, to come in in the morning just to see them and to, um, to know that we're going to confront the, uh, the challenges of, of the day together. And, and then all the staff of the legislature, all of you, who um, have, have embraced the culture that, um, that was given to us by our predecessors of, uh, of um, creating a, a democratic provincial parliament that all of us can be proud of. And it is a real, a real privilege and honor to be Speaker of the House right now. Thanks to you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's great to hear. And it sounds like you're, you're really passionate about the role and everything that comes along with it, which is which is great. Um, and sort of in that vein, is there one thing or maybe a couple things that you think that the public or that people in general should know about what it is like being the speaker, like things that they wouldn't necessarily know? Um, you know, we give a, a definition at the beginning and on paper it's it's you know, you're maintaining order, but is there something specific about the role that you think that people should know sort of from behind the scenes? That's a tough question. Um, because most people aren't aware of the administrative responsibilities of the speaker, which is maybe an important thing that people could know. It wouldn't hurt if they knew. Um, they told me at the start that I was the chief executive officer of the legislature. That's not so. <laughs> <laughs> the, the speaker's role, in my opinion, is more like a chairman of the board of the legislature or, or more like if, if, if our legislature was a village, more like the, the mayor of the, of the village. Um, the clerk, in my opinion, is the chief administrative officer of the legislature without question. And, and that's an important part of the clerk's responsibility over and above what the clerk has to do in the House. And, and most, I think the staff of the legislature understand that. But, um, and that's why, that's why the clerk is, uh, has, the, has the status of a deputy minister in the government and, and should. Um, that's an important part of it too. But the speaker, as, as I say, is sort of a chairman of the board role. Um, and the, the uh, Board of Internal Economy chairs the Board of Internal Economy, which is the decision-making body for how the money is spent here, which is a very important role too. And it involves, a, of course, a great deal of responsibility. Um, but it's not just the speaker. It's, it's again, part of a team. Um, I, I would like to say that I've tried very hard to inculcate and create a, a team environment amongst our, our staff. Um, and the people that I work with. I, I don't see my role as superior to them. I see it as um, that, that, we're, that we're partners and we work together on everything. Um, I, I, I said to the clerks at the start, um, we, if, we're, if we're faced with a significant decision, we should try to be like the Beatles. <laughs> and in the Beatles, um, if it wasn't unanimous, it didn't get done. And you try to create that. Now, we haven't always been able to achieve unanimity <laughs> behind the scenes. Uh, so, and there's a lot of you know, discussion and negotiation, give and take, and sometimes it's hard to get a consensus, even amongst um, the people that, that we all work together. We're, you know, we share the same broad goals, but trying to get there sometimes isn't as easy. But, but we do try to work. I, I certainly want my staff to know that uh, I want to hear what, what they really think. Um, I need to hear that. I need to hear their frank advice. And then, you know, we, we hash it out as a team and hopefully come looking look we're looking for the right thing to do on everything and sometimes uh you know it takes a while to find it but then 
then we try to do that. And I hope in most cases we have. It's true that the public, I don't think, is aware of the administrative side of the speaker role. I also don't think they're aware that you get measured for a hat. No. So that's a fun fact that we uh, learned today. Yeah. Well, uh, and in fairness, um, I haven't worn the hat every day. <laughs> uh, I was wearing it every day for a while. Um, and there, were, there were, of course, uh, the clerks that were expected to wear the hats as well. I didn't, I didn't really like wearing the hat either. Um, I, I still have it. And I, will, I, like, I plan to wear it if there's a throne speech or special ceremonial days. I still have it. But I didn't feel I needed to wear it every day. <laughs> I mean, it's so haven't it's lately. quite it's quite a hat. It's I will look. say, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, many sure. many children who come to visit uh, often liken it to a pirate hat. So um, <laughs> that's pretty much the description we get most often. Yeah. It's pirate hats. So. Yeah. If you ask, what do you notice about the speaker? Why are they wearing a pirate hat? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but speaking about that administrative aspect of the role. Um, balancing, you know, the day-to-day in the chamber and then the administration, um, how, how do you accomplish that? How do you master that balance? We don't really set a rigid daily schedule in the Speaker's office. We anticipate that things will come up that we don't necessarily anticipate first thing in the morning. Um, I still have lots of organizations who are approaching me when they have a lobby day. They're approaching all the MPPs. We, we set up meetings. We try to, as much as possible, accommodate everybody um, but our door is open and we have we have members who not so much lately because of the pandemic but we our door has always been open since I was elected speaker uh, unless nobody's there and then we close it <laughs> and lock it but if if someone's there we keep the door open to invite people to drop in if they have concerns if they have issues um, so we, we have to maintain a fair amount of flexibility in our schedule in that sense um, but there are specific times when I have to be in the house. And of course that, that comes first. Um, I don't know if you can narrow it down to one, but is there one or maybe a couple of the things that you would consider to be the most rewarding aspects of being speaker, but also just having been an MPP for so long? When I think of my role as an MPP, um, and I tell my staff, you know, every day we come to work, we help people. Um, we don't normally keep a list of every everything we've done. Um, we have things that we've done to support our communities, large and small. And when you start, when you drive through a community, you can you can see something that's there that wouldn't be there perhaps without your best efforts. And it's not just me; it's my staff. And we work like again, we work together on all these things. And, and those, those sorts of things are what, what make being an MPP worthwhile. Knowing that because of your efforts, something good happened that perhaps might not have happened without your, your ongoing efforts over a period of time. Um, and then as speaker, um, well, I think that's still a work in progress, let's say. <laughs> and I don't want to brag or boast. I, I, I feel, you know, every day is, is a new challenge. Um, I hope, uh, again, I hope that we demonstrate that we're as nonpartisan as, as people would expect us to be. Um, I hope that when I'm finished as speaker that I can look back with some degree of satisfaction that I've made a difference. Um, I don't know that I'll have any specific one thing to point to necessarily. I, I'd, more, I think I'd leave that to others. Um, and the media will will occasionally judge whether or not 
a speaker is doing a good job. We, I hear from members from time to time who don't <laughs> think that I'm up to scratch on any given day or something that I've done or said that they feel was wrong. Um, so it's, I mean, it's, it's a subjective thing. It's not something that I can control. Um, but when it's all said and done, I hope that people will, uh, will see that uh, I did the best job I could. And uh, hopefully there'll be something there that will give people a sense of um, the, the effort that we all put into it. I know you said that you're going to wait to see how people perhaps um, look back and, and perceive what you did as in your role as speaker. Uh, is there a particular initiative or project that you've helped start while in the role of speaker that you're proud of? Well, this is going to sound like I'm bragging. I don't want it to sound <laughs> that way. Um, so when I was the chair of the Legislative Assembly Committee in 1995-1996, um, we were asked to do a review of the security arrangements in the legislature. And we did a fairly comprehensive uh, review of what was what we were doing and what we needed to do. And that resulted in uh, a report that was came back to the legislature, um, which led to some changes in the security posture. Um, again, I'm the chairman of this committee. I recommend or I uh, present this report in the House. But the, one of the things that I had pushed for as part of the committee process and felt very strongly about was that there needed to be a single door for the visitors to come in with airport type security and that, that was that was needed and that was in place in Ottawa it was in place in the National Assembly in Quebec it wasn't like it was something brand new or visionary it was just we didn't have that um, and we had access at multiple doors by the general public and um, again I felt that this was something that was needed and so the security report was accepted and many of the recommendations were implemented over implemented over a period of time but then you fast forward to 2018 and we're still working on this and the, the visitor center idea has started to gain some momentum <laughs> <laughs> and then it was built and so it and now it is operating and uh, I think there's some irony there I can't really <laughs> maybe speaks to how long it takes to get some things done around here um, but but I was the chair of that committee that recommended it. Now here I am, the speaker that someday hopefully will be able to cut the, the ribbon <laughs> as we celebrate an official opening of some sort. It's a lot so of I'm, perseverance I'm to get there, there yeah, but, yeah. but you did it. And it's, and it's <laughs> not just about me. The building is safer for all of us, including our visitors, with this new visitor center, visitor screening center, as we called it. So I'm very pleased that... Uh, that it's there. I mean, it was also the, the first piece of new construction, technically, our yeah. new addition to the building in over 100 years. So exactly. that in and of itself is just an accomplishment. Yeah. yeah. And they've done a great job with it. I mean, universally, um, everybody that I've talked to about it is, is very pleased with how, how it was designed, how it looks, um, how it's set up, and how efficient our, our LPS staff are in, um, in operating it. So hopefully in the fall, Let's hope we'll be back to some kind of normal with more people in the building again. Hopefully, uh, when we can safely um, invite visitors back in, um, then the general public will will see it too. Then maybe you'll finally get it. to cut the ribbon on it and <laughs> officially open it for real. <laughs> it's such a full circle story. Um, so if you had to think back to starting at the assembly um, in you know 1990, if someone had come up and told you that you would one day be speaker, what would your reaction have been? <laughs> would you have believed them? 
I didn't aspire to be speaker. And when I was first elected, it was survival. <laughs> it was, it was in my first five years, it was just trying to, to get through every day to, and, deal, and deal with the issues to the best of my ability. And uh, I had no aspirations at that point to be speaker. But then um, it, I guess it speaks to the fact that um, uh, you might have a career path plan, but it might not work out exactly as you had first um, expected or or dreamed, and day to day we have opportunities to to make a difference. We should all, and I know that the staff of the legislature agree. Um, we we should all continue to work together towards that objective, and and we do. Thank you so much for joining us today, Speaker. <laughs> We're really glad to have you on the podcast. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Thanks for listening to On Parliament, where we help spread the word on Parliament. Gotta go. I think I hear the bells. The On Parliament podcast is produced by Parliamentary Protocol and Public Relations for the Legislative Assembly of Ontario. Social media by Parliamentary Protocol and Public Relations for the Legislative Assembly of Ontario. Additional research provided by the Table Research Office for the Legislative Assembly of Ontario. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's episode, please support the podcast by sharing it with others and subscribing. For more fun facts about Ontario's Parliament, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at OnParlEducation. Et en français sur Twitter at P-A-R-L-O-N Education. Thanks again and see you next time.